0: I had an awesome Groundhog's Day intro prepared that David Manzione was going to be involved in, and then he decided not to come because the roads were bad, and he had COVID. But that combination of things, apparently, now COVID's fine, David is well, uh, but we did have to bail on our Groundhog's Day intro, which means we're just going to have to dive right into the nitty-gritty of it. Talk about this Lenten series that we're on. How's Lent going? Good. Thumbs up. Thumbs sideways. Thumbs down. kind of across the board, we started this series through the book of Revelation looking at the seven churches during a season of Lent because Lent really is an opportunity to be refined as we follow Jesus into the wilderness, right, mimicking his 40 days in the desert um, and mimicking his path to Jerusalem before he took up the cross, and we want to be prepared, not caught off guard by whatever temptations and things Satan throws at us. Amen? So this is the second to last church. It's been a brutal ride. You've been convicted or you've been trying your best to ignore that conviction, but we're almost through it, and Easter, like Natalie said, is coming. Um, But we want to understand ourselves as a community. And our story, our community story today, the conviction that we're going to find today from the Church of Philadelphia actually starts well before Revelation was written. Our story today begins just after, or even just as, Adam and Eve of Genesis 1 were pushed out of the garden, and behind them the door was slammed shut, and the angel guarded it so they could not enter any longer. Bonus points Adam and Eve had probably more than this, but two children who we talk about a lot. What are their names? Cain and Abel. Our story begins with a closed door out of the garden, and then it moves on to Cain and Abel. Cain and Abel, Abel was a farmer of the field and of the crop, Cain was a hunter who would get meat, right? Both wanted to bring an offering to the Lord. They bring an offering to the Lord. God accepts Abel's offering and rejects Cain's. Ask God why someday in the future. Cain is livid about this, tricks his brother into going into the field with him, and while they're in the field, (sighs) crushes him across the skull and slays him dead. A while later, God makes his covenant with a man named Abram whose name would become Abraham shortly thereafter, and his wife Sarai, whose name would become Sarah. They have sons, but it's not so simple because God promises them a son, and yet that son takes a little longer than they're willing to wait. And so they concoct a plan, and Abraham lays with his servant Hagar and has a son named, bonus points, Ishmael. And then shortly thereafter, Sarah herself conceives a boy, and they rejoice, and they celebrate, and they name him Isaac. And what do you think Sarah thinks of Ishmael and Hagar? Not so much. She wants to kill them. God stops it from happening, but Ishmael and Hagar are sent out more or less with nothing but an angel to protect them. Isaac has some sons. <clears throat> One of them's name is Esau. The other one's name is Jacob. You guys are brilliant. I have to imagine all of you at home are getting all these right too, just snapping them off. Esau and Jacob have a fine relationship, but are also of a different ilk. Or sorry, Esau and Jacob. And Jacob tricks his brother Esau, right? And takes his birthright from him takes all of his inheritance, and Esau functionally is shut out of the family, or at least out of the blessing that was his due. So much so that in Malachi 1.3, repeated in the book of Hebrews, it is said from the voice of God, I have loved Jacob, but Esau I have hated. We're really into it. This is the beginning of our story today. A closed door in a broken family. Brothers separated by murder. Brothers separated by adultery, right? And brothers separated by trickery and conniving. We come from a broken family. Open your Bible with me to Revelation chapter 3, verses 7 through 13. To the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. What he opens, no one can shut, and what he shuts, no one can open. I will also keep you from the hour of trial that is going to come upon the whole world to test those who live on the earth. I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. To the one who overcomes, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will he leave it. I will write on him the name of my God and the name of God. The new city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven from my God. And I will also write on him my new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. This is the word of the Lord. (coughs) So the Groundhog's Day joke was going to come because a month ago it was Valentine's Day and I was preaching the church of Smyrna. And there's two churches here who are not given a direct uh, conviction, right? So the pattern of most of these letters is this is what I have for you, this is what I have against you. Smyrna and Philadelphia, the church we just read, are the two that do not. Valentine's Day, a month ago, we had about this many people here because there was a snowstorm that came and kept people from coming into the sanctuary. Valentine's Day, a month ago, I asked the Hennies to lead communion, but the snowstorm kept them from coming, and I got a call from their daughter saying they aren't going to make it. Today, we're preaching on the other church. We've got a snowstorm, so nobody's here. The Henny's had to cancel last minute, and David left me high and dry like he always does. So it feels like Groundhog's Day. It's been a year anniversary from COVID when time itself stood still, right? So that was the Groundhog's Day thing. I'm sorry it wasn't funny. But on Valentine's Day, we talked about Smyrna, and one of the things that stood out was this Synagogue of Satan, and we hear about it again here in the letter to Philadelphia. And we talked about persecution in the context of Smyrna being Satan's uh, attempts to get us to love the things of the world more than the Father himself, right? And the synagogue of Satan is those Jews in particular, right, who have traded, if you will, the truth and the love of God for worldly things and try and do what Satan tries to do with persecution, We get the synagogue of Satan again, another example of the Groundhog's Day effect, and yet this time, we get a really peculiar punishment for them. Did you catch it when we read? Pull your Bible up. The synagogue of Satan is given a punishment in this passage communicated to the church of Philadelphia. Verse 9, he says, I will make those who are of the synagogue of Satan who claim to be Jews, though they are not, but are liars, I will make them come and fall down at your feet and acknowledge that I have loved you. And what's remarkable here. Is love. What's remarkable here is that the punishment that could be given for someone is that they would have to acknowledge that God loved somebody else. And it's remarkable, I think, because it's just so immediately true to our lived experience that we need and that we want to be loved. And if I have gone my whole life, right, Esau, Ishmael, Abel, however old he was, being the one left out, kicked out, more than anything, I want my family to acknowledge that I'm loved too. Why was Jacob shown all the partial, or all the preference and partiality, right? Why does Isaac get all of the inheritance when I'm sent away with so little? But we, as human beings... Core to our existence, really just want to be loved. And we want people to see it. We want to be able to brag about it. In fact, I find it really remarkable how meaningless everything else becomes when you don't have a deep and true sense of love. There's a pyramid called Maslow's Hierarchy of Needs. Familiar with this? <clears throat> At the base of it is physiological needs. You need air, water, these sorts of things. Then you've got safety needs, shelter, right? And then up from there, uh, Haslow, or Maslow argues belongingness and love needs come after those two, right? And then you've got esteem needs, these senses of accomplishment. And then he's got this category called self actualization. I'm going to tell you, Maslow's hierarchy of needs is valuable, but it's inaccurate. Psalm 54 says this, but God is my helper. The Lord keeps me alive. We're in Lent. We've talked about Jesus in the desert. Satan comes up to him. He hasn't eaten or drinking water in 40 days, and Satan says, why don't you just turn this rock into bread? What is a more basic need than food when you've been fasting for over a month? And yet, what does Jesus say in response? Man does not live on bread alone, but on the very word of the Lord. Psalm 54 again. God is my helper. The Lord keeps me alive. God is my helper. Good food and drink keep me alive. Nope. God is my helper. This building that we're in with nice heating is what's keeping me alive. Praise the Lord. No. The Lord keeps us alive. What is more fundamental to your existence as a human is the love of the Lord and the knowledge of it and his guiding and his sustaining hand. And yet most of us live our lives believing that we are not loved. Cain and Abel, Ishmael, Isaac, Esau, Jacob. Very few of us here are actually Jews. Some of us are, but very few of us. Our ancestry, our heritage, is the son who was not a part of the family. Do you get that? You are the Esau in the story. We've spent our whole lives believing we're not loved. We carry the story of a broken family deep inside us, often far beyond what we can actually see, the level of which we carry it. In the sense that we don't belong. In the sense that the door to the household that we wish we could be a part of has been locked shut. And to the church of Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love, think about that. God says this, see, I've placed before you an open door that no one can shut. I know that you have little strength yet you've kept my word and have not denied my name. And I'll make those who are the synagogue of Satan who claim to be Jews, but they are not, I will make them come and fall down at your feet and acknowledge that I have loved you. When we don't have our most basic needs, what do we do? We scavenge, right? I hope not many of you have lived there, but I assume some of you have where you haven't had enough food in your cupboards. So what do you do? You eat anything you can. If you've ever been to an impoverished nation, right, and shelter is hard to come by, you'll see that their houses are made of garage doors, right, sticks, hay, whatever you can, right? Everything that the big bad wolf and the three pigs story can blow down, right? Doesn't matter. Get something. We scavenge. The purpose of this sermon today is in part... help us recognize for the ways we scavenge for our most fundamental basic need there's no critique given directly to the church of Philadelphia but there's one implied he says make sure that you don't uh, that they don't take away your crown right what he's talking about and we'll get more into this is the ways we lose we manipulate we scavenge For love. And so put yourself in a position of vulnerability at your home here in the sanctuary with us. Love in your life, I bet, is missing somehow, or at least you feel it. In one of these three ways. Can we get these up on the slide? Some of you are missing love in a way that you feel deeply in a romantic way. Don't raise your hand in public if you don't want to. Raise your hand in your heart. You have a sense in your life that you are missing out on romantic love. Some of you are missing out on friendship. And friendship is absolutely love. Praise the Lord for good, sacred friends. And yet some of you have been stuck in your house all year with nothing to do, and you feel like, I've got not a good friend in the world. Or maybe you've got two and you're not satisfied. I don't know. Some of you have this missing sense of love familially in your family. And for whatever reason, your relationship with your siblings, with your parents, with your children is broken. And there's this hole here. There's this chasm here. And you've got this missing love. And what we do when we're missing love, is we scavenge. And in this case, it looks like substitutions. So be honest with yourself. Have you, because you are missing romantic friends, familial love, substituted it with a sense of pride or power? You say, I don't need anybody. I'm strong. I don't need anybody. I can do it. I don't need love. I'm in a position of influence at my work, right, at my home, in my sports. How many of you have substituted true love with lust or with sex, with pornography, with extramarital affairs? you recognize I'm missing something foundational to me. I need it, I want it, I feel it, my, I feel it, my body is calling out for it. Here's a point of access. If you're in a marital relationship, right? The place where sex is great and wonderful and blessed and encouraged and celebrated, you can also use it to substitute love? Have you done this? Have you been doing this? Be honest with yourself. How many of you have found, as a substitute for love, anger or violence? Because I'm not loved, you shouldn't be either, you say. Maybe it's subtle. Maybe you keep it in your heart. Maybe it's actualized and you've actually been a violent person. If that's not been you, I'm sure you can point out in the world where you've seen it. How many of you have found as a substitute for love, depression? This is a tricky one. But if I'm not loved, maybe if I can feel enough self-pity it'll blanket over actually addressing what I'm missing and what I'm going on or what is going on. Maybe you've been so depressed or so angry or so lonely that you've turned to substance abuse, alcohol, pills, overeating. Maybe you haven't felt deep, true, sincere love and so you've gone to work for 80 plus hours a week or you've only been at work for 40 hours a week but as soon as you come home you open your computer and you get back to it because you don't want to actually address the void or the chasm between you and your kids or you and your spouse or maybe just the empty space that you live maybe as a substitute for the true genuine love of the father you've taken up religion and gone all the way back to the top in this sense of pride and power, and you said, my religion is the true one, I am the righteous one, therefore I have all I need. Or maybe you have love, or you think you do, but it's a worldly kind, and because it's not true, because you're afraid you're gonna lose it, because you're afraid there's not enough of God's love to go around for you, you actually turn to boasting about your love. Hmm? Maybe your first boast is actually that you don't need it. right? I don't need love, I'm above it. I'm on my own. Or maybe you go to social media right, and you post pictures of you and your significant other and just how great of a relationship you have all of the time and you brag about the love that you've been given because you're insecure about losing the love that is there for you. Or maybe you boast about your religiosity again, and yet you're void of true, genuine knowledge experienced the love of the Father. Or maybe none of the above is true, and you actually have a phenomenally healthy relationship with the people whom you love. And the love that you experience in the world is true, is sincere, and is genuine, and yet is exclusively human. And I'm sorry, but the human love, as best as we can do it, is frail and it is weak. The greatest expression of love that we can have, which I would argue, this covenant of marriage, A commitment to love till death do us part. And all of the substitutes for love, even the absolute highest achievement of human love, that is a life committed to creating life and family together, is a door slammed shut at death. And we're in a real hole (laughs) or predicament. Be honest with yourself. And hear these words written to the church of Philadelphia. See, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. I know that you have little strength, yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. I will make those who are of the synagogue of Satan who claim to be Jews, though they are not, but are liars, I will make them come and fall down at your feet and acknowledge acknowledge that I have loved you. Since you have kept my command to endure patiently, I will also keep you from the hour of trial that is going to come on the whole world to test the inhabitants of the earth. I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. The one who is victorious, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will they leave it. I will write on them the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem which is coming down out of heaven from my God, and I will also write on them my new name. And while the world is saying we need to scavenge, there's not enough love to go around, right? And we do scavenge, like the prodigal son on his hands and knees eating pig food for love. God says, I have loved you, and the world will see my love on you as clear as they see the pillars of a temple when they walk up its stairs. There's two major pieces of imagery we're going to break down real quick. He says, Hold on to what you have, present tense so that no one will take away your crown. The world is trying to take away the crown that you have. Or the world is trying to convince you that the crown that you wear does not belong to you, or the crown that you have is not good enough. There's a greater hierarchy of needs than the love of God for you. What is this crown, right? What is the new name? Psalm 103 says this, Praise the Lord, my soul, all my inmost being. Praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your sins, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion. God has given you a crown. It's on your head. Right now, the world's trying to take it away. What is that crown? His love, and his compassion. Psalm 8 says, describing how frail and meaningless humankind is relative to the glory of God. <clears throat> what is mankind that you are mindful of them, human beings that you care for them? You've made them a little lower of the, of, uh, than the angels and you've crowned them with glory and with honor. God's given you a crown. The world's trying to take it away. It's his love, it's his compassion, it's his glory and his honor that is rightfully given to you by him, not because you earned it, but because of his love and his compassion and his glory and his honor and he chose you to give it to you. Ezekiel says this, I gave you my solemn oath and entered into a covenant with you, declares the sovereign Lord, and you became mine. What's that sound like? sounds like Marriage. I adorned you with jewelry. I put bracelets on your arms and a necklace around your neck, and I put a ring on your nose, earrings on your ears, and a beautiful crown on your head. Do you see it? Do you hear it? And what's this new name? I mean, sure, we've got all sorts of examples about when a new name is given, maybe you're um, you know, trying to get a new identity, escape from convicts, right? Maybe it's a pseudonym because you're right. But there's two main examples, right? Marriage and adoption. When you marry, you take a new name. When you're adopted into a family, you take a new name. And God is giving you a crown and has given you a crown that says, this is my love, this is my compassion, this is robes of white, of glory, and of honor, cleansed from everything that would ever need to be cleansed of. A sign of my covenant that you are mine, that you are mine, that you are mine, and I'm going to give you a new name to marry you, to adopt you into the family, to do whatever you need, because this door to my household is wide open. And no one can shut it. Satan offers open doors, too, doesn't he? Lots of them. His road's big and wide. There's nice signs everywhere and inviting open doors. I know some of you are thinking it because Tracy Hiltz did such a phenomenal job with her Frozen reference last summer. Right, do the next right thing. We got to do this one. Love is an open door. Right, that's what we're talking about be real. Remember who sings that song? Where are my frozen heads? Who sings that song? Anna and Hans. Is Hans' love honest? No. It's manipulative. It's a lie. And it's a phenomenal example for Satan's open doors that he calls love. That whole list we looked at before. This is the open door of love. But you know what he does? As soon as you walk into it, phew, slams it shut. And what's that room become for all of us who've been living groundhog's day for the last year? Comes a prison. God's door is open. Who's going to shut it? Not a soul. There's no trap there. There's no prison there. If you want to leave God's love, by all means. The synagogue of Satan is that community which tries to get you to love the things of the world more than the Lord. In this case, they've abandoned the crown of God's love for the feelings of worldly righteousness, right? These are the people who called themselves Jews, but they are not. These are the people who call themselves Christians, but they are not. And they've abandoned the authority and the knowledge of God's love, translating it to these worldly benefits, thusly sacrificing God's love in favor of something else. And you say, well, that's rude of God. Well, what would you have Him do? Slam the door shut and lock them in as prisoners? And yet God in his mysterious wisdom had a plan to give it to the Esau's and to the Gentiles to the Cain's, to the Ishmael's, so that when we are established as pillars in God's temple, those who've abandoned it will come and they'll see that God has loved us and just how remarkable and how beautiful it is and hopefully they will accept that open door of mercy again. Romans 11 says as far as the gospel is concerned they the Jews in this case who have rejected Christ are enemies for your sake but as far as election is concerned they are loved on account of the patriarchs for God's gifts and his call are irrevocable just as you who were at one time disobedient to God have now received mercy as a result of their disobedience so they too have now become disobedient in order that they too may now receive mercy as a re- result of God's mercy to you. And at least in the letter to Philadelphia, God's love is God's love is God's love is God's love. And God's punishment and God's judgment is God's love because it was his open door that he let people walk out of so that they would have the opportunity to come back into it again. Praise the Lord Almighty. And if you are willing today to step through that door a little deeper into God's house, you're going to find some remarkable things that this crown that you're wearing and this knowledge of his glory gives you. If you will, the many doors that are a part of the many rooms of God's house that are all open to you. If you know God's love for you, how deeply God loves you, you will be able to love other people in a way you never knew possible. get our list up here so we don't forget if you know love think hierarchy of needs i know i'm good at my most basic foundational level i've got all the food that i could ever need in the world anybody who comes to my door throw them a feast you have and i have all the love you will ever need and anyone who comes needing love throw them a feast and you'll be able to, and you'll be able to do it joyfully because you're not a scavenger. You're an heir. You belong in the house. If you know God's love, you'll be able to take risks because your life is secure. You'll be able to try things, and that risk-taking will lead to joy and to curiosity and to exploration. And throughout this whole process, if you know the depths of God's love, all of that baggage, that shame, these things that you've been carrying, you'll be able to forgive yourself. You'll be able to forgive others, and you'll be able to forgive yourself. And anytime you get the sense of conviction from the Lord, anytime the Lord says, this is my discipline for you, because my foundation is the love of God, I know without a shadow of a doubt, that that conviction, that that discipline is the love of the Lord. And you can be transformed and you can be healed and you can have this new life sprout into many new experiences and maybe even as you share the love of God and a new life towards others and this pattern of repentance, confession, forgiveness, joy, curiosity, and loving of one another is the door opens revival in your life and in our community. Because now we're not closing doors and isolating ourselves because that's what we experienced when we were living like Esau and Cain and Ishmael, but we know the love and the open door of the Father and these doors. Open and the lost who've been looking for their most basic foundational needs for longer than they can mem- remember come flooding in to find it. And love opens the door to your salvation, to your joy, to your curiosity, and to revival, to the restoration of Cain and Abel together so that they can share a table with each other. To Isaac and Ishmael, Hagar and Sarah, together sharing a table. To Jacob and Esau, together sharing a table. To Jew, to Gentile, to brother, to sister, all into the open arms of the one Father who loves us. There's no more boasting in love because there's no fear of losing love. There's no more scavenging for love because we have Christ. We have the love of the Father. And the world's gonna come and see it. But first, let's receive it in our own selves. And may the punishment that the sinful, sinful world that we live in has to endure and experience is to acknowledge, oh, wow, God does love them. (laughs) Can I have that? And I'm going to invite the band up. We're going to sing a song together. It's been one of the more meaningful songs in my life. I Actually, my last sermon that I gave at the previous church I was at was just walking through the most significant things that God has ever taught me. And I played this song for them in the middle of the sermon. Just last week, I had a person who's here tell me that this song was the catalyst for his life's transformation. If you're at home, again, try not to be distracted. Try and linger here and assess these gaps of love and let the Lord fill them with his deep and abiding and profound love for you as we sing together and as we pray. Father, how deep is your love for us? And how far have you separated us from our sin? You've given us a crown of your love and of your glory and of honor. Lord, help us to have open hands and open hearts to receive and to know as you wash over us your goodness. Mm.